Hey guys, Brett here. Due to audio issues uh, and some technical problems we had, sadly, the last five to six minutes of the episode's audio uh, was just unlistenable. Thankfully, it didn't catch the majority of the episode, and the off-topic podcast did not have any issues, uh, but there will be an abrupt ending to the episode. We wanted to go ahead and upload it so we wouldn't miss anything. I hope you enjoy it for what we had. Thanks. To talk. Or not to talk. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and this is our third time trying this. At least um, now I know it's episode 120. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saul Bridges. So, uh, anyway, like you said, episode 120, we've had a little bit of uh, tech problems today with recording, uh, so we're going to hope that this works out. Because of that, we're probably going to be a little bit shorter on time than we had hoped because uh, we have to also try and hope that we don't have any technical problems when we record our off-topic podcast uh, that we have to be done by a certain time. But we're going to get going with this and give you the guys the best episode that we can with these restraints. Uh, if you've never heard of us, we are Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. You can find us every Monday on uh, YouTube at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. Uh, if you like what we're doing over there, subscribe, hit that bell notification. It'll let you know when all of our stuff goes live, be it this, our uh, reader mail, or our off-topic podcast, as well as other things that we may fly in here and there. Uh, if you like what we're talking about, go down in the comments below. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear it. If you want to listen to us instead of looking at our ugly mugs, you can surely do so uh, by going to iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify. It does not matter if you're on iPhone, Apple, computer. You can find us on any podcast service, and if you can't, let us know. We'll fix it. If you want to give your feedback on these subjects uh, with the restraints <clears throat> excuse me, of the uh, podcast services not having comments, you can find us on social media and be part of our weekly community take question that we do, as well as just interacting with us on there. So you can do so on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. You can do so on Facebook at Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. It's a group that you can be asked to enter in. You'll see me there. Saul does not have a Facebook. Probably smart. <laughs> Uh, but other, as well as some of the other community members. And if you want to join our day-to-day and uh, some of the other community members day-to-day, you can do so by going to our Discord, which is linked down in the description below. Lastly, if you would like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can give as little as a dollar a month via our Patreon, gets you early access to shows like our Reader Mail and our Off-Topic podcast, uh, gives you exclusive access to certain things, depending on what tier you go with, you get custom cases, as well as some other stuff that we're teasing with some trophies that we have 3D printed sitting around here. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Not promising anything on those. That's still something that's potentially in the works. But let's get this show on the road. We are going to end up talking about Sean Murray and his recent advice during a uh, a panel he did uh, in talking about games that launch with bad launches. Very similar to No Man's Sky. The best way he thinks to handle them, be it talking to the community or not talking to the community, we will get into that and everything he talked about. But before that, Saul, we have to start the show off correctly, and that is asking a very simple question. How have you been? What have you been up to? What's been playing? I've been playing pretty much the same two games for the past couple weeks, so that trend is the same. I've been playing Destiny 2, uh, doing some stuff on there with other friends and, and community members, and it's been really, really fun. But I've also been playing... Dark Souls 1, kind of just replaying through that, making different builds and such. And the interesting thing about Dark Souls 1 is that I can't figure out what is the preferred way and the canon way to play through the game in terms of areas. So our good buddy Josh... Oh, you're talking about the way you move through the areas? Yeah. Uh, Josh, let me know, because I know you platinum this game multiple times. So let me know like what is the canon way to go through and what you prefer, because typically I just go through... Um, uh, undead, Bur- <clears throat> undead Berg and stuff first, and then I go through the depths, Blight Town, and then of course I go to um, Sin's Fortress, then to Anor Londo, and then typically after Anor Londo, I'll go down to New Londo Ruins or Old Rondo Ruins, ruins, and uh, then go through like um, the uh, the library. Can't think of the Crystal Archives. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of curious as to what is the like the proper way to go down it, and if anybody knows of any fun OP builds for Dark Souls One, let me know. I love getting into those kinds of builds. I have one for two and three. I'd like to do one for uh, one, and you guys may see where this is going because I use an OP build for Dark Souls Three that I really love using <laughs> my speedrun build. So, uh, and I did that for Sal plays. So who knows if I can find a fun OP build that uh, sound like you said Sal plays. Sal plays. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think I'm thinking of doing Dark Souls two, then one or one, then two for Saul plays next. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Just depends on my schedule and um, if I get my capture card back from Brett or not. <laughs> Keep forgetting it's over here. I mean, I can give it to you. I know. I'm just it's right it. there under our monitor. I see it. <laughs> but uh, that's been pretty much it. What about you, Brett? I have played Far Cry three some more, and I continue to go back toward the idea that. The more and more I play of it, the more and more I continue to be like, okay, I still understand this. I know why this has got so much reverence behind it and why people view it as one of the best Far Cry games. Uh, but I'm, I'm, even if this may be something that's a little controversial to some, uh, I do think that Far Cry 3, where I've landed on putting them, Far Cry 3 is the most iconic Far Cry, I think, at this point. I think it's the entry point for a lot of people into the series. It introduced most of the things that you've seen still have a foothold in the series that they did not gut out when they did 5. Uh, and it also set the stage for what I think a lot of people view a Far Cry game as, with ostensibly one of the best villains ever written. Um well, I, it depends on him. One of the best realistic villains uh, with Voss, and he, there's something about the way he's portrayed that comes off so genuine, and like you could really see him being a real person. Whereas I think sometimes there are great villains that are still written in a way where they just seem a little too grandiose. Yeah. Uh, so he feels like a very great grounded villain, but I think for as much snuff, I think is four gets for being similar to three, and I think in a lot of good ways. Four was the first time it was going to be a next gen game. It was like, hey, how do we how do we kind of evolve three and make it to where we have a similar game where we still have a voice protagonist, which is something that the series was always known for up until five and New Dawn. And how do we put all these things together while also going bigger and better and bigger scope than what we had with three? Better graphics, better everything further evolving each one of these gameplay ideas to their logical max and still having a great story with a pretty good character with Troy Baker's uh, take on. And of course I'm forgetting his name right now. And I genuinely don't know how I'm forgetting his name, but that's okay. Pagan men, Pagan men uh, is his name. So anyway, Troy Baker did Pagan men. Yes. He did. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So I actually thought Pagan was a great bad guy, but it's hard to follow Voss, um, which, you know, three has got its own problems with, following boss <laughs> yeah but you know i'm still having a lot of a ton of fun with three and i thought that going back to climbing the radio towers would be an annoying thing to an extent and it's kind of charming i like it like it it will eventually probably wear its welcome out but i'm enjoying it for now past that i played um i got my psp that i'd given trace back uh and i'm going to i just ordered a replacement shell and purple for it i'm going to fix it up and let it be Kyrie's psp and let her learn how to play games on there uh and i got crash bandicoot 3 on there so i played a little bit of the original crash bandicoot 3 uh last night and uh past that i did grab uh i got my blood stained ritual of the night sent to me that i got through my playstation rewards card i've not had a chance to start it because i've played destiny on the other nights where i could so yeah it's pretty similar i've not played too much this week but that's okay um i guess from here we're going to go ahead and move into our uh community's take that because that's what we go to next i feel like i'm all brain scrabbled with all this stuff that's been going on so hold on let me pull up discord yeah and the reason i'm going to be facing this direction for a majority of the podcast is i'm monitoring our audio levels to make sure it doesn't do what it's been doing and yeah thankfully our becomes, video never gives us problem yeah our it's video our audio it's always our mixer on obs which if you guys know a better broadcasting software for this kind of stuff that would replace obs even if it costs money we will probably invest into it because this is getting pretty tiring the biggest problem is that we just don't know what it is <laughs> Like, we still can't figure out exactly what it is that's doing it. We think we get it under control, and then bam. A few episodes later, it creeps itself back up. But that's okay. Our community's take question this time around was simple. Do you think that the power next-gen consoles will offer developers... Oh, yeah. Do you think that the power next-gen will offer to developers can aid them in telling better stories? If so, what do you think is an area of storytelling that will be better due to the improvement in tech? So, starting things off, I'm going to head over to our Twitter, excuse me, where we have, let's see, there it is, we have a couple responses here, let's see, Mr. Thomas, who's a patron, thank you good sir, says it may give developers more scope to program for branding Branching stories, I think is what he meant, or multiple choice based story arcs. Improved AI may offer more nuance too, but ultimately, good storytelling has its own power and that doesn't take graphical fidelity to achieve. And I think that that's right in the answer of what we essentially said is that 
good stories are good stories regardless of the tech. But the tech can do some things to elevate an already great story to just give it that much more staying power in your mind or that much more emotional resonance. And <clears throat> I had a couple of conversations on a, on a post about this with some people about how, you know, definitely in books and, and other media that doesn't have an interactive layer and a bunch of stuff like that. It comes down to if, if an author doesn't have the ability for one thing, he'll use a different device to get the same emotional resonance across or whatever. And I think that that's true. But where I'm going with in the argument of that tech can help buoy an already great story, but a great story can be great separately, uh, is that whenever you have a situation like games that adds so many new layers in and you get more power that lets you have more of those layers happening at the same time, that lets you give the best possible situation where you can say, well, I want to give this emotional conveying, but I don't have like, you know, in the PS one days, you couldn't show things like facial expressions. Really. It was all about body language and even body language was hard due to severely limited animations. Yeah. So what happened in PS two facial animation was still kind of, eh, but body animations were much better. So you could give body language better. PS three came facial and body animations, both come up to an even better stand. And then as we continue to go with something like the last of us two, you see even more there. Uh, so I appreciate that. Love that. Uh, I'll give one more from Twitter and move over to, um, I need to pull up Facebook real quick. I'm already on it. Great. Um, one more from Twitter. And that is Mr. Sweet Jones says AI in a racing game that doubles as a C A R P G, a car PG would make for a cool storyteller. Grid attempted this back in the day with mixed results. I have my own ideas that no dev will hear me out on of it could be handled in a cool way. So I think that's interesting. A game where he's using essentially the car as an RPG device. That would be kind of interesting, actually. Interesting. I am curious at how the power of the consoles helps make that possible. And also kind of, you know what, Ryan, I'm going to hit you up for that because I like the idea, but I'm trying to understand, is it something more along the lines of like what need for speed tried doing with the run where you can get out of the vehicle and do stuff but the vehicle is very intimately tied to it? Or is this something where the car and you in the car ends up being the entire storytelling premise? Um, I'm very interested to hear that. Uh, Scooching over to Facebook real quick, we have Mr. Vincent Hull. He says, there are many pros and cons. The biggest thing that sticks out to me is that if it's a paid subscription... Oh, sorry, wrong one. Don't listen to me. My laptop is on old stuff. I can handle one from Discord real quick. Go ahead. Sure. Slow one. Throw one in there. Yeah. El Chabib says, I think it would make all in some way, and he puts better AI, engrossing environments, advanced graphics, detailed character animations, and more open world environments. So he says he thinks it will in some way, and I think I agree with him too. All right. Here we go with Facebook real quick. We have a couple. Let me see which one I want to do real quick. Mm, do Mr. Donovan Williams. He says, I think the tech enriching the potential for an immersive world. It also gives probability to increase dialogue and interaction between NPCs. For example, vampire NPCs, but as a standard for all great narrative and open world games of this new generation. So if you've not played vampire, I actually love that he brought this up because it was, it's something I would love to see in vampire. There's a more limited scope of NPCs and it's semi open area. It's more like a dark soul style world where you're, you can move freely around all these areas, but it's not like a sandbox or a huge open world. It's like segments of little hubs that you do things in that are tied together. Yeah. Um, so if you've not played the game, all of the NPCs in the entire game in each district show up in a thing and you can talk to all of them. They have multiple options to go through these different storytelling things. They can get sick. You can heal them. They have an impact on the way that the community views things. If they die, if they don't, what story quest you can get, what story quest you can't. And some of these things have been brushed on in the past, like with Morrowind. I don't know if you remember in Morrowind, if you killed an NPC that was specific to the story, the game either had a sub way of getting you the starting point or the information you needed to go through that quest, or you couldn't play the quest. It just depended on where you were at. And Oblivion completely just took that out where you yeah. couldn't kill them. Yeah. So that was one thing. Uh, so it's already been brushed on in the previous generation, obviously, but this was to the nth degree as, as you'll say. Uh, but it was great. So, you know, it was every character and NPC mattered. You could hear their thoughts depending on how, what happened. If you chose to, uh, consume them as a vampire and give into your vampire things to get certain powers or because you thought they were bad people. It kind of let you go through and figure things out and pick up little remnants of things that you could try and understand whether you wanted to attack people. Cause it's like, we well, are a vampire. You do have to somehow feed 
the more you fight it, the more the game kind of fights you. Yeah. But you can choose to do it. So it's a great storytelling thing. Uh, but yeah, my thing too is I'd love to see a game on the scope of The Witcher 3 or Skyrim be able to do that. There's a lot of things that make that hard outside of just the power needed, but definitely the power needed is going to be a huge thing. Uh, so great, great answer. With that, we're going to move on into the news as we have currently, for the time being, uh, dropped. The drop. Dropped the drop. Um, but hey, you know what? We're open to feedback. We, so if you really want it, let us know. No promises, but we'll do what we can. I'll um, put it in the description for you. <laughs> there you go. All right, moving on into the news. Very first thing up, I'm sure a lot of people saw this. Final Fantasy VII Remake appeared on the Xbox Germany Twitter account with a release date showing the same day as the PS4 version. This was found to be an internal error with the account deleting the tweet and issuing an apology. Square did have to come out and say, quote, as previously announced, Final Fantasy VII Remake will be released for the PlayStation 4 on March 3rd, 2020. We have no plans for other platforms. Which is weird from the very first announcement. What this is, as I can tell, a lot of people are taking that statement. If you look at it by itself, it sounds like the game is not releasing on any other platforms at all. But what this really is, is PR doublespeak. Yeah. Uh, So, obviously, the game is always going to come to other consoles. We don't exactly know which ones. It actually could skip Xbox. It seems unlikely, though, since this happened. At this point, it's safe to say that Square is in talks with Microsoft as to when they'll get it, but they slipped up and said something too early, and their agreement with PlayStation states that as an timed exclusive, you treat it as if it's only out on this console. Yeah, Uh, That's just something that's always happened. It's one of PlayStation's things they've done when they get timed exclusives. Microsoft's done it too, though. They They would not let the Tomb Raider team say anything about Rise of the Tomb Raider. It was just treated like it was an exclusive, even though it was not. Um... So, very interesting thing that happened there. But, uh, yeah, anybody who was expecting it same day based off that tweet, it was obviously not going to happen that way. Sucks that people got some, uh, we want to say, accidental hype that they might have given into. But I assume they'll be getting it, what do you say, Saul, six months or a year? What, what do you I, think would say, I would say anything under than a year. You think under a year? Yeah. The only reason I think a year is that contractually speaking, that tends to be what play, what people do. So when Square did Rise of the Tomb Raider with Xbox, it was a one-year exclusivity window. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. It, at that point, the new consoles would be out before Xbox people could even play the game. Yeah. Which would be interesting. So, anyway, next up. Uh, We have Gods and Monsters, which was the surprise announcement from the team behind Assassin's Creed Odyssey at E3 this year, Ubisoft's presser, and following in its choice of Greece as the setting. So uh, it has its first gameplay and story details revealed. In the game, you'll follow Phoenix, spelled F-E-N-Y-X. I actually appreciate that a little bit. Uh, A hero on a journey to save the gods of Olympus from Typhon, one of many fearsome monsters from Greek mythology. If you know your Greek mythology, you know who that is. The game will be narrated, and this is kind of cool. The game will be narrated by Homer, author of the famous poem, The Odyssey, and acts as him recounting ancient myths to his grandkids. Gameplay will feature special abilities that allow you to fight, not only on the ground, but in the air too, sometimes having to utilize both in a battle to overcome your enemies. Powerful items can be obtained, such as the Boots of Hermes, which allows players to double jump, which can help them access new areas. The game features fully customizable armor and weapons, very similar to what Origins had going for it, uh, alongside its skill trees to give it an air of RPG elements breathed into it. The game releases February 25th, 2020. You know, I actually think this looks a lot better than Odyssey, but I also am not in the mindset that Odyssey was some kind of super perfect, amazing game. It was fine. It was good. Had problems that I didn't care for, but have you seen the game at all? So? It's got a... I'm not going to say cell shaded, but it's got a very color. Okay, uh, do you remember Rhyme? And yeah. And it's a very colorful world take. It's kind of like that. That's kind of cool. But set in Greece. I, like, got, I actually like the idea of that. That's, yeah. That sounds, I like Rhyme's RSL a lot. And it was talking about like its main thing is going to be like combat, puzzles, and then ter- you know terrain stuff. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how that works out. But it's crazy to see a game of, I'm curious of the scope because the one thing I can say about Assassin's Creed to its benefit is that if you're somebody who just likes a game to go on forever, that's Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It is surprising that they were able to make a game with that much content and then already be ready with another one, you know, essentially a year and a half after Odyssey released. But 
Interesting nonetheless. Next up, Dead Cells, our indie darling from last year that we love so much, has received a new update titled Update the 13th. Uh, the update brings a multitude of changes, but primary among those are feature reworks, balancing to the game, and new mutations added. Uh, if you've yet to buy the game, the game's only gotten better since it's come out, so now's a great time to hop in. But also, if you've been wanting to boot it back up, go into it. It is great. I need to find a way to do that myself. Who knows when that'll happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, Next up, Square Enix coming back around have announced that at San Diego Comic Con this week, uh, gameplay for their upcoming Marvel's Avengers will be revealed, but only to attendees. No word on how long it will be before an official reveal is planned. I find this odd. Saul, did you see the behind closed doors cam, like kind of hidden phone camera footage that kind of showed some of the gameplay? for Avengers or at least what gameplay was supposed to be representative of. No, but I think it's stupid. They're locking gameplay behind a convention. Seems weird to me too. And for them to say it's only to attendees, why would you not like, yeah. if you're do it? Say attendees see it first, but then later that night we put it on the internet. Right. And maybe that's what's going on, but they've not, they're not, it's not clear. That. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. So you're going to play as the normal characters and move through the story, but there's going to be like an actual story story that you move through by yourself and then there's going to be stuff that you can do co-op missions, but it's not going to be like you'll be able to do the whole story as co-op because the story is going to be seeing you switch between heroes on the fly. Okay. Which is kind of interesting is what yeah. it looks like. That, and that's just based off of this. It's like a 15 minute thing where the beginning of it's really hard to see, but then as you get like a couple minutes in, you can see a pretty good bit of what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Marvel's definitely pushing hard for their gaming stuff though. So we'll see what it ends up being. Uh, next thing, Private Division, which is the new publishing arm that is behind the Outer Worlds, if you remember that, uh, has revealed a partnership with developer V1 Interactive for a new sci-fi shooter set to be fully unveiled at this year's Gamescom called Disintegration. The announcement came alongside a teaser trailer showing glimpses of a combat ship and a brief little video. Uh, I don't think it's worth watching the teaser. It doesn't really show anything of value, but hey, at Gamescom, check it out. This is a... Um, high-end double a studio or a publishing arm so don't expect the game to be call of duty level or something like that but if you like interesting double a games like what the outer worlds is looking to be i think that this could be something interesting um i want to say that private division was a sub a sub publisher of take two were they or 2k it's one of those two uh 2K sounds more familiar I think but 2K i don't know seems more likely but uh yeah interesting nonetheless it is double a though Make sure everybody understands what the expectations are. Uh, I put this on here because it's literally surprising to me. The Power Rangers Battle for the Grid, which is a fighting game that came out uh, earlier this year, the developers continue to breathe life into that game with its second free update hitting alongside the addition of new fighters via paid DLC. The free update adds new features to the game, improved social play and matchmaking, and more. New characters can be bought individually or with Season 1 Pass. You'll get them all as they continue to come. Um, Amazon have revealed that they are developing a free-to-play MMO using the Lord of the Rings franchise. The game is being developed in partnership with Leiu, Leiu? I don't know how to say it, actually, who actually revealed the game last year and mentioned an unnamed, quote, partner developer uh, that we now know as Amazon Game Studios. Uh, so the game will take place before the stories of the books and movies, whichever one you've seen. We love and explores parts of the universe that fans have never seen before. There are no details as to when the game will be available, but it is planned for consoles and PC. This is interesting. They both have, both of the people have got some form of experience in MMOs. Thankfully, they're not just going to be the first time doing it. But I don't understand why MMOs will always want to do this thing. Definitely with the Lord of the Rings. Why do the games, and I get it to an extent, you don't want to copy the movies completely, but they take place way before, so they have this weird freedom and while I've enjoyed them for the most part, the one thing that I know about the Lord of the Rings fan base is that they don't really like people taking crazy... They don't like people taking any kind of liberties, liberties yeah. with the story that's not you know, from the Cimmerillion or from an extended story that actually still is canon. So it's weird. I understand that to an extent, though, because the whole point of the Silmarillion is that it acts as like a lore book of things that you could tap into and flesh out if you wanted to. Yeah. Right. Uh, you could use literally the a Bible story. of sorts. Yeah. You could use the short stories to your advantage and go further with them. If you needed to, you can go ahead. Um, so yeah, it does seem odd that everybody wants to come in, but I guess it's cause you want to feel like you're able to give your own little 
I, I'm sure as a creator, it's cool to be able to be like, I created something that's now part of the Lord of the Rings universe. But, meh. Keep doing that, Saul. Sorry, my shirt keeps riding up on me. I don't know why. Probably because <laughs> I'm fine. Lay, um, leaning, leaning back so hard. Next thing up, PlayStation is apparently sharing some users' games activity automatically through their Facebook without their permission. PS4 can link with your Facebook, if you didn't know this, uh, and allow users to share game events, uh, game event stories, as they're called, and trophy stories, which essentially pop anytime you get a trophy and post it to your PlayStation. Some people like that, some people don't. Uh, The feature could be disabled. Uh, with the users experiencing this issue claiming that they had previously disabled it years ago, but it appears that Sony has somehow either purposely or accidentally did something that re-enabled it or does not matter to even check that. Um, So I don't know if this is something you can go back and turn back off uh, or if you've even had the issue. I went and checked my Facebook out of curiosity because mine is linked. Didn't have the issue. I was going to say, well, it is an invasion of privacy, but you have a Facebook, so you probably don't care about privacy at this point. (laughs) Yeah, that. which, okay, depends on the level of privacy, right? The people who are freaking out because Facebook people, like Facebook employees are looking through your private Facebook messages, that is a little bit of like a, okay, that is actually private. Whereas if you're posting to your Facebook wall, that's not really private. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the larger scene of if you send anything, even via text message, there's a chance that it can be screenshotted and then sent to someone else, which is still an invasion of your privacy. But yeah. So um, just a little quick side note. Did you hear the fact that the, the stuff about Google and the recording? Yeah. And the fact that if you've ever said, okay, Google to your phone and it's popped up with a recording prompt that from then on your phone has been recording everything. Oh, if you've ever said it once. If you've ever said it once, that's that's that is free reign for your phone to record every single thing, and it's to help out with conversations around you and, and you're involved in to help with AI learning. But it's still like, I saw that they send your stuff, and this is not gaming related, but we'll go through it real quick. <laughs> Tech late. Uh, I saw that there's a thing where they they apparently send your conversations for when you use the the feature. They send those conversations to people to transcribe. I saw that, and there were people at the transcribe office who were essentially whistleblowing and saying, "Hey." Uh, they send these to us, which people didn't realize. They thought that they just fed it into a machine that used it for algorithmic learning. But no, it goes to people to kind of transcribe and go over. And some people are like, there's about like, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like 30 or 40% of the things that we hear, these recordings that get sent to us, don't even have anybody doing anything that would prompt the recording response. Like so, And they were like, and in those conversations, when nobody thought anything was happening, we've heard phone numbers, names, social security numbers, yeah. addresses and they're like so pertinent, you know, information being shared and we're and we're listening to it because we at first think it's going to be a, a request from Google that we're supposed to transcribe due to something that somebody was asking their phone. Yeah. So, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. Stuff is getting weird in this day and age. A couple more things on the news. Mortal Kombat 11's upcoming DLC fighter Sindel received their first official image via director Ed Boon's Twitter. You know, he likes to share stuff on his own, so go check that out. It doesn't... And this whole Mortal Kombat just hasn't looked as exciting to me from a sheer character design aspect. Not completely getting into the fact that I think all the women should look necessarily crazy hot, even though that is something that's always been in the franchise. But they look bland as a result and not saying that it can't be fixed in a way that's not sexual, but more that you would have hoped that if they're going to say, well, we don't want to sexualize our characters, but we should at least still do something that feels unique and different. Maybe that's also because of other fighting games, letting people create characters. So it's just getting to a point where you feel like you've seen in a fighting game, every type of character creation. Well, not only that either, but it's almost like they recycle the same tropes. Like it's horror movie villains and stuff like that that you see a lot. So it's lack of variety too. I think it actually may even be that we're maybe Mortal Kombat's just getting hard to keep doing the same characters with new designs because they've done new designs with every game for years. So it's like, what are you going to do? Eventually you're going to run out of interesting things to do and you're just going to end up with drab versions of these characters. Yeah. Eh? Hard to say. Um, Some of the characters you just can't change too much anyway. It's like, what are you going to do to Liu Kang? Really? Right. It's like he has an iconic look that you really can't stray too far from. Yeah, it just... Raiden, Raiden, however you want to say it, he has the same situation. You really have to stay somewhat close to what he is because it's like 
fans expect to see it that way because it's always been that way. So yeah, let's go to the male side of things. That was, if we're going back to the whole sexual conversation where they were talking about women being over-sexualized, that did not seem to have any weight or bearing on the fact that the men were over-sexualized with their shirts off and all these different things. So it's just an interesting conversation of how we ended up with some of these character designs that we have across the board and why their reasoning was. But alas, we were in the room. We don't know what the cause is. It could just be uh, artist fatigue of trying to make something original that's been done 30 times since Mortal Kombat came out in 92. It's probably, I don't know if it was 92 or not, but in the 90s. Um, all right, last thing up. Warframe's annual Tenocon event came and went and revealed up the upcoming Empyrean expansion. One of the biggest features is Squad Link, which is super cool. This game never fails. To, I, I really got to get back to playing it. But Squad Link allows squad play with others in real time. So two different squads or potentially more. They didn't go too much into that. Uh, but for squad play with others in real time through an objective that crosses the barrier of the game. So to kind of give you an idea of what that means, the demo that they showed had one team on the land responding to a distress call that was sent from the other squad who were in the middle of a space battle, uh, which was using the previously, at last Genocon, they showed the Railjack uh, situation. That, so that's coming into the game as well. Railjack is a big ship that lets you go from land to air seamlessly and then go and battle in space and jump to other ships and whatnot. And it already is pretty interesting that way. But this will let that happen in a way where they're linked up and you can share an objective. Uh, so what they did is the team on the ground was able to look up and see the battle come into view literally from the ground, which is pretty dope. Right. Um, and the game asked them to disable a disruptor field uh, to help the other team be able to take out the enemy ship. So the enemy ships were covered with a disruptor field. On the ground, the team was able to come down and uh, and handle that so that the team up in the air could work, which is really cool. Because do you remember, this is the Battle of Endor on in Star Wars. You remember the whole two teams working together? Yeah. So it's a great idea of where I think it's great to see games doing things, of looking at movies that have done cool things before in the past and been like, how could we work that out into a game way? And I, I got to say, Warframe continues to impress me by doing things that I don't know that you'd see other games try and do. Partially because of the unique position that the type of game it is puts it in and the fact that it's sci-fi so there are game there are spaceships and there are ground combat people but it's pretty interesting uh, i am gonna have to get back in and play that game because i was so stoked the railjack stuff last year uh, and now seeing this be part of it oh, it's amazing i'm about to go back to it uh so destiny's going to watch out i know shadow keeps coming and is exciting looking but warframe's gonna have me on the line too then i'll have no time to play literally anything else um all right, that's the end of the news. So what we're going to do is go ahead and move over into the bulk of the conversation, or at least you know the, the main topic that we planned. And it's a slow news week, so we decided to kind of go with this because we thought it would be a little bit fun. Not a lot's been going on since on the PlayStation side of things with um, the Nintendo Switch Lite being announced. It's kind of been a news week taken over by Nintendo, which is fair. And I think it's probably smart that, that PlayStation said, you know, we don't have anything to really talk about. We're at right. the end of a generation Stuff like that. There's going to be increasingly more and more of these the topics. Only, the only curious thing I'm I, I'm going to see is I wonder if PlayStation does the super slim thing again, like they did with the PS3, and in response to the Switch Lite, lower the price of the PlayStation Slim and do a or the, yeah the PS4 Slim and do a new one that's a super. Well, slim. they already have a $200 PS4. No, 300. The Slim's 300. Mm-hmm. Wow, I thought the Slim was 200. No, it's so, yeah. been it's been 200 before. It's been 250 before. Well, that's sales. right. Okay, I'm thinking. Yeah, because you're right. That was I what the Black the Friday sale was. Spider-Man Black Friday was 200. 200. Yeah. Bundle. So yeah, I mean, it, it's been 200. That's a realm I'm not familiar with since I don't pay attention to that system at all. I don't much either. So, uh, but I end up catching it for news a lot and keeping up with it that way. So yeah, if they do a super slim, it'd be interesting. But now that they have the Pro, it kind of gets weird. It almost begs the question of would they ever even think about doing a slim version of the pro or is that just pointless at that point? Cause it's already for such a small group of the gaming world. You know, it's people who want the super powerful console. The majority of PlayStation four sold have to be a mixture of the launch model and the slims. Yeah. So at some point seems pointless to do that. But anyway, Going into the main topic now, uh, in an interesting turn of events, like we talked about, No Man's Sky creator Sean Murray recently had a panel where he spoke about how to handle things uh, in terms of turning around 
from a rough launch of a game in relation to Bethesda and EA and Microsoft in specific with Fallout 76, Anthem, and Sea of Thieves specifically. I think Sea of Thieves of all of them probably actually launched in the best state. It just didn't have enough content, which is very similar to Destiny. It's like the game played and worked. Well, I think they intended. all launched. I hope. I really hope this doesn't become choppy mess. Uh, we'll just have to see. It looks like it's all right right now. But. Yeah. Um, but I, the way it launched, um, I think they all launched fine in terms of the performance of the games with the minor couple of hitches here and there, mainly Fallout 76 with the with the performance hits. Yeah, but they had a little bit of it too. Yeah, yeah, and they've all been really empty games. Yeah, to an extent. But I think the of all of them, I, I, I can't speak from a real point of you know, authority on Fallout 76. I have played both Sea of Thieves and Anthem. Anthem actually had a sizable storyline. The biggest problem that it had is that it was empty once you moved out of that into end game stuff. The end game stuff was very similar to Destiny 1 where you get to the end game and you're just like, okay, there's not a lot to do. You get through it pretty quickly and there's not a lot that you can do outside of that. Uh, and you get to a point where you stop caring. Now, Destiny was able to turn that around. Awesome. Um, Fallout 76 has seemed to sway most of the stuff with them back towards being in favor of them, which is great. Um Though it's not perfect. I mean, you know, they're putting a battle royale in the game. But uh, there's people that will like it. I don't really care. It's, it's, it's funny to make fun of just because it's like you have a game that everybody universally hated. And now you're going to do the thing that, of course, there's a subsect of the Internet that are going to immediately make fun of. Yeah, it didn't work out for Radical Heights. I don't think it's going to work out for 76. <laughs> yeah. Lawbreakers couldn't, you know, well, the studio, Bosky Productions, couldn't be saved by a. a so, yeah, it is what it is. But Bethesda will be saved by Skyrim 6, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Elder Scrolls 7. I knew, yeah, I knew what you were even trying to go at. But, um, Elder right. Scrolls 6? Skyrim? 5 was Skyrim. Yeah, Elder Scrolls 6. 6 would be Skyrim 2. Yeah, Skyrim 6. <laughs> Elder Scrolls 6, Skyrim 6. Good lord. Takes place in, in 2071. And it's going to be all online? It's a prequel before Cyberpunk. Okay, yeah. Oh, dude, what a crazy world would it be if Bethesda was bought out by CD Projekt Red? Yeah, CD Projekt Red already does everything Bethesda does better, so <laughs> I don't think it really matter much. Uh, well, and definitely we're going to see if that ends up being true with them doing their first foray into first-person gaming. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see they about that. They could become the new titans of RPGs. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I think you know his main advice was what I think a lot of them ended up following in the long run, though they went through a stint of the problem, but especially Bioware with Anthem, despite backlash from fans for now. But Murray offered that it was better to focus on post-launch development instead of constantly trying to talk to the community as, quote, your actions are so much more important than what you say, end quote. And I think that that brings up a really good point, even though it does end up in this really interesting situation. So as we know... No Man's Sky launched with a ton of of hate because it was not the product that was promised in a ton of ways. And I think that Sean Murray got a lot of crap, rightfully so, because of it. But I also think it wasn't that it was intended. You know, that's a bunch of things. But what they did was didn't say anything, really, which was weird. And a lot of people complained and said they're being radio silent, not talking. And it was months before anything was said. Yeah. And then suddenly, though, what happens is we get a minor update where they still don't really talk and it was just the base building that they had already planned to be a post-launch update. Then from there, we really get our first, first bit of stuff where everything turned around when they started adding in all these new vehicles. And I'd say the biggest change for the game really came with the launch of Next, which was their introduction of somewhat co-opable gameplay that happened, I think, last year. Was yeah. next. Uh, so yeah, it was the first time that the game brought in the ability to play with other players. And I think the game saw a huge resurgence then. It kept seeing kind of a resurgence past that, but it took a long time for the game to get to a point where it was essentially universally acclaimed um, with Next to the point where a few weeks ago, uh, there was a crowdfunded thing where some fans got together and paid for a billboard right outside of No Man's Sky, uh, the Hello Games office, that said, thank you, Sean Murray. Yeah. Uh, and and they, he did the unthinkable. He he made it so that a game that was one of the most, if not the most critically acclaimed games of all times at that time period, and he pretty much reversed it. Of course, it's not some massively 
uh, online game that people are flocking to, that are hitting views on Twitch, that are doing all these, you know, popular things with, but it's still there, still played by a huge community of people. And not only that, but it's fixed. It's a fixed game for the most part. It's a play. It's 100% playable and enjoyable. If you like those kinds of games, there's tons to do. You can do it with friends. Yeah. It's almost what people want the success story for fall or far out, far out, far cry. I don't know why I'd always say fallout 76 to be. Yeah. It's pretty much what they want Bethesda to do with it. However, I will say that how long has Fallout 76 been out now? About eight months? Yeah, it was a November release, I wasn't think so, it? yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I feel like that the first eight months were the most silent ones of, of Sean Murray and uh, No Man's Sky. And then about by, I think, the 11th month to 12th month of the year, that's when stuff started pumping out about it. Or like people yes. started seeing in a good, the, in a good light. the ARGs and stuff that people were like, well, what is this? And they were kind of confused. Yeah, because it was the Atlas Rises or something was the first real update slash whatever you want to call it expansion that really brought people back into like, okay. And that was the ARG that was tied into it. Like, what yeah. is this? It's in some other game that's coming around. It's like, what are we doing here? It's putting a lot of information. And, you know, that all comes back down to the first time that people started getting a positive light back toward the game still came with not really any talking. It was ARG. Yeah. So it was like the first thing that they're really doing is not even talking as much as they're saying like, hey, here's a little tease that we're putting out with no words. It's just for anybody who has a keen eye to grab onto. Yeah, and kind of get these Easter eggs and nuggets of knowledge. Yeah, and it does have the somewhat of the problem of you have to have a game that's good enough and No Man's Sky at least had a loyal group of people who were like, this is exactly fine. It's not what I thought it was going to be, but I still enjoy it and I'm going to keep playing it because I enjoy this type of... It's a, a lot of people claimed it was their wind down game. Play yeah. it for an hour before they go to bed because it was calming. Um, but you know, you have this group of people who stuck with the game and, and it made it to where there are people that love the game so much that they were able to catch this little nugget of information. Now let's try and transplant that same basic idea into what's happening. And you could even use that with next, right? People who stuck with it long enough for next to hit and then go, wow, what's going on? This, this kind of starts the fire. They're the kindling, the people who are already playing it, and then they can spread to their friends, hey, you should come back to the game or buy the game for the first time that's closer to what you thought it was going to be. And the way that you pull that off works for them, but let's transplant that onto Anthem, who I think right now is the game of the three that he mentioned that's in the worst state. Uh, I think Fallout 76 has kind of crawled itself back up. Most people are pretty happy with it, and there's at least a player base that's dedicated. The problem with Anthem is that Right now, the silence is being, as far as the community is concerned, the silence is not a good thing in their mind. But in terms of what Sean is talking about, while there's going to be the hate immediately that comes from not talking, the benefit of not wasting your time and trying to just speak out what you think they want to hear to put them in a good mood, but then not actually having somebody on doing the work that could be done or wasting the time doing that instead of doing the work or risking saying something that may not end up working out, it can put you, it can paint you into a corner. So as a developer, as much as the community may want you to talk, it may be best to be quiet. Yeah. And kind of get a game plan going on. And after a certain amount of time, if you don't have a game plan or you don't make a statement of some kind or anything like that, it's very evident that people think you just ran off with their money and you will then become a fail. Which like, happens with No Man's Sky. There's yeah. people that said that forever. It was a shield. Well, for like money. somebody apparently went there. It's like one of the studios that they supposedly worked in. The studio was gone. Like they were closed down. Oh, um, it, wasn't it a Kickstarter game that did that or something? No, it was No Man's Sky. Apparently, like they went and took pictures of Hello Games and Hello Games had studios of like, they. It, you see all posters in the window. The, they, oh, but was, no one was there. Yeah, no one was there. And it was just like that, that studio was locked down and closed for good. Like, no furniture was in there, stuff like that. So, that's what they thought had happened. What probably had happened is that they were getting so many death threats at any locations because they were scared for their lives. Who knows? That's a good question. But, uh, and leading to death threats over a game that you like that didn't come out the way you wanted, that's crazy. Um, but, going back in the idea with Anthem with that is like, the problem with Anthem being the type of game it is versus the type of game that No Man's Sky was is that, while No Man's Sky had the, it was sold like it was going to be an online experience, it was entirely playable by yourself. And yeah. it was asynchronous online. 
But the problem with Anthem is every bit of what it has does rely on enough people to stick around to where matchmaking can still happen so that the game continues to be fun. So I think the challenge of trying to mimic that success that they had uh, with No Man's Sky is that No Man's Sky was a game that allowed people to keep playing it until they were able to do something. Anthem, the more people that leave, if they don't get enough the worse it gets for everybody else, the harder it's going to be to be able to do something that's like, here's a nugget of information or an Easter egg or some kind of ARG. Not that they would copy it exactly, but let's just say, that may not even exist. ARGs are very common marketing strategies now. Yeah. Like in the past 10 years, you've seen it a lot. Yeah. So I think Cloverfield look, was the first one that did that. Um, when was Cloverfield? 08? Yeah. Okay. So before that, uh, and this is not even in the movie. This is in music. Trent Reznor did it with the uh, 2007, I want to say, is when uh, Year Zero came out. Oh, okay. And Year Zero is an album. He literally, they went through and left. Uh, they had... Um, what were they called? Like little memory cards and USB thumbsticks that they had left in like bathrooms and moves and stuff and like had like a thing that you go to online and you'd go through around a map and look and find these That's things cool. and you paste them in. And I, was, I like stuff like that. Because but, Year Zero was like a uh, concept album of like, we're in the future, these are the things going yeah. on. And these, all of this was like setting up the stage for what was bringing it to this position. So that was cool. And that was the first time I had ever even seen an ARG actually working out. And I was like, this is crazy. Um so, yeah, it's weird to see more and more stuff doing it as Internet's made it easier to do the idea of an ARG. Oh, yeah. Before, Bud- Bungie did one like two years ago, I think. Yeah, or, see, before it was like you had to do it with almost physical media because you couldn't trust the Internet. Or set up, it. yeah, like with the Internet, like uh, slowly became setting up websites and, and fake companies like yeah. what uh, Cloverfield did with Slusho and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so, just like I followed uh, every piece of that I could. Yeah, but, you know, when you look at that, it's like – if, even if they chose to do that, they do run the risk of not having people around for their aha moment. You know, it's like they can do all this work and do all these great things, but if they're not careful, they have no fan base to speak to. Yeah. But as much as I thought about that, I was really surprised when I was playing it a few weeks back that I, for the most part, was surprised at the amount of new players coming into it, which was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it went so cheap for a while there, nine ninety nine at GameStop. Yeah, so new. new players coming into it, which does mean very similar to No Man's Sky, where you could get it ten dollars brand new about like three months after it came out. Excuse me, maybe it was six months, but still, it was a, a not that far after it came out, and that game dropped because they were just like, we've got to try and sell it, get people playing it, and whether that was done on Hello Game side or because of GameStop side, just to get through stock, who knows what it was? Probably GameStop because I believe uh, they did the same with seventy six as well. Yeah, who knows? I don't the know. The bicentennial exactly. edition was like thirty dollars at one point. That's like a, I think a seventy dollar or a hundred dollar. Yeah, yeah it it's an expensive collector's edition. But still, whoever's decision it was, it or worked. In the, it worked in the benefit of if it's going for the same thing for Anthem. It's like it works for the benefit of getting new people into the game who maybe have not exhausted the game's resources, and then hopefully at the time of whenever you get to have your aha moment, you have people who have either stuck with the game just because they enjoy it and they dip in and out occasionally since launch, or people who are just coming into it enjoy what the groundwork that you have but have not hit that frustration wall yet well yeah and you know what's crazy i just never realized anthem would have been a fantastic game to have a sick collector's edition oh yeah get a custom uh javelin statue you know it's funny i've thought about this a lot i think that they knew the state state the game game. was in i mean they had to have it's it's... well well obviously the developers knew there's nothing they could do about it but i think ea knew that they were forced and it's fine it happens sometimes i do agree with the sense of EA, some people are like, EA, it's EA's fault because they didn't delay the game to let it get more time in. Well, at some point, you can't just keep delaying a game. And Anthem had been delayed multiple times already. Yeah. And it's like, the more you delay, the more leeway you're giving the developers to just kind of keep screwing around. But if you say, no matter what, the game has to come out on this date, not changing again, what it does is it kind of forces the team to go, We've got to stop worrying about some of the other things, and we have to focus on what we have that works that we can bring up to at least a decent standpoint to where day one, people can play a game that won't immediately reveal its problems, but maybe it'll reveal the problems when they're 40 hours in. Yeah. And it it at least gives you something to where if they continue to delay it, the game may have never come, and maybe that'd be for the better in some people's minds. But I think what you end up with in this situation is similar to the idea of like, you have Final Fantasy 15, and you continuously delay it, and you continuously move it around, and you keep moving the head people around to do other things. And then what happens is the game never reaches the point where it becomes really 
enough to sell. So what you do is just scrap it, use what you can from it, put somebody else on it and go. Yeah. Or it never comes out at all. One of those two things is going to happen. I don't think Anthem had the ability to be taken over by someone else and repurposed. So it was all or none. Put a date on it, let it get out there, or cancel it. Going full circle, what if CD, CD Projekt Red made Anthem? How different would a game... I, can you imagine CD Projekt Red making a service game like that? Yeah, I was going to say just a multiplayer game in, period, in general. It's going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, when you look at all this stuff, I do agree with his general thing. Is What he's essentially going at is the idea that for all that you can talk, actions are always going to speak louder than words. And in a game development world, actions all entirely come down to what you can do and it sucks that game development takes time. What can you do that you can put out? And once it's out, you can show people, this is how you know we're serious about this game. And this is enough, at least at this particular junction, to give enough life to the game to where we can get the train rolling. And this is the first bit of that. Yeah. Here you are. This is enough to hold you over. Now we're at a point where we understand what we're doing and how we're going to iterate. So this, it, it may have taken us nine months to get here. But here's this big update. Now we have a complete idea of how things are going. We have a good workflow. Three months from now, here's another big piece of content. Three months after that, another good piece of content. Very similar to what Bungie has managed to do with Forsaken, kind of revamping Destiny 2 to a point where everybody came back to it. Each season, you get something new. And then each season saying, hey, every three months roughly, you're going to have new content. Yeah, you're going to have some kind of a new game mode, a new story that's going to come into play, some new type of mechanic that we're trying to introduce into the game yeah. until we can give you shadow keep, which is a another forsaken style thing, you know? It's oh like, yeah. It's in by forsaken style. It's right. Taking King style realistically. Yeah. Which is essentially what a lot of people considered forsaken. Yeah. So, so in, much different stuff is changing that game to make it a completely different game that most people will be coming back for it. Like, don't you agree? Like yes. even people who left forsaken. Yes. Like I got, I told you, I bought Blaze the Forsaken thing because it was ten dollars. Yeah. Uh, so he was installing it yesterday, and I was like, "You're not going to be able to play the season specific events with us, but you can play the rest of the game with us." Weirdly enough, and that was another smart move they did is if you don't buy the season pass, you can still do certain things that the season yeah. has to offer. Like you can go through and play Leviathan with but us. But certain want to. things are going to be blocked off. And they're not doing the original War Mind Osiris thing where they locked off parts of the game. Yeah. Behind they're just making the it DLC. certain events are locked off. Exactly. So. You know, in that situation, it does lead to the point where in a game like Destiny, in a game like Anthem, these things can be turned around. Uh, but I, I agree with his general overall all stance of it doesn't matter what you say or how long it takes for you to do this thing, as long as you can at some point come out with what it is. And the reason I even say that, what my final example of a game that just blew my mind that it came back in such a weird way. Do you remember me talking to you about Two Worlds 2? Yes. Coming out in like 2006 uh, 12, or yeah, 12, I think is what it was. Yeah. We looked it up. Um, terrible game in terms of terribly optimized, had a lot of glo- bugs. It lot ran of like a 2006 it ran, game. It ran poorly. Uh, I remember not thinking that the gameplay was as awful, but it was like the gameplay wasn't enough to overcome the other downsides of the game. So you get to this point where the game was laughed at, sold, came out, everybody it sold poorly. It came out. People laughed at it, reviewed kind of poorly. And you thought the game went to the trenches. Right. Never to be heard of. And again. then here it is. What? Like then enter, eight years later. Then entered 2017 or whatever it was. And they put out the game's first expansion. And what the hell DL- is that? I and mean, they have DLC coming out for next month, don't they? I mean, next year. They have, yeah, dude. There's a there's so a from 2012 to 2020. There's, there's a timeline. Eight years of this game being garbage, but it's still having content come out for it. That's what? increasingly and making it better. As far as I've seen, the game picked up on sales after the first DLC. Came yeah. Out. So the first the first expansion notably changed something. So whether that means that there was a core of charming gameplay hidden behind poor optimization and a lot of glitches. Maybe it was that people finally found it once they updated the game enough, and then the expansion was able to add enough to get people liking it. 